When we cross borders, we cross identity, class, and break and reform social connections and restrictions. Traversing the Midwest to Mesoamerica and from Miami to Multnomah were two multicultural Latinx women who found each other while navigating through a sea of white in the Pacific Northwest. We seek to illuminate the often hidden intersections of immigration with different stories and Richard Thais, breaking the homogeneity by amplifying voices that often get drowned out in this white city. I'm Nellie. I'm Amy. And we're coming to you from Portland with our podcast, Different Talles. All right, welcome to Different Talles. Uh, today we are proud and lucky to have Shivangi here with us. She is femme, differently abled, and queer. And we met her when she gave a speech at Millennial.org's Immigrant Stories event back in February. Um, and that speech was so powerful that we felt that we had to get in touch with her. And um, this was in the early stages of the podcast. And since then, uh, Shivanki chose to move back to her hometown of New Delhi, India. So this is also our first uh, long distance cross time zone call. So I'm really excited that she made some time for us today. Uh, Shivanki holds dual degrees in psychology and anthropology from Oregon State University. Um, and Shivangi, welcome. Thank you so much once again. Um, so you're now back in New Delhi, but you were previously in Oregon. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, I know, like what year you first arrived and how much time you spent in Oregon? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me too. Um, I arrived in Oregon in 2011, in September, I think, um, to study at Oregon State University, uh, and I was just 18. So I and and so I spent about six years there, a little less than six years since I just moved back this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, did you move right from high school? Yes, I moved right after high school. Okay. And what um, drew you to Oregon? Were there other places in the U.S. or internationally that you um, were considering for school? Uh, I did not consider Oregon at all. In fact, I hadn't even heard of Oregon that much before. Uh, I really wanted to go to New York. I was one of those teenagers that was very stubborn and I just wanted to kind of run away from where I was, you know, just like my family here and my um, my high school life. It wasn't very, um, it wasn't a lot of fun. Like I was uh, exploring a lot of my identities and it wasn't very easy to explore them with my family around, with uh, with a lot of people in my school or I think it, it's just difficult in a, in a society where um, there's a lot of the mindset is kind of a colonized set of um, I don't know and so it just it just uh, it was kind of me trying to run away uh, because I used to I used to watch a lot of American TV shows and I wanted to get my education abroad always even my parents wanted me to move abroad so mm. um, I think that's that was the reason uh, that I applied and it was it was fairly late that I applied to colleges it was like in February and I know in the US like you start applying in um, 
in like early November or mm-hmm. October. Um, and so it was only um, the colleges that started out late that I could apply to. Mm-hmm. And for Oregon State University, since it starts really late in like uh, in the last week of September, it, the applications were still open and I got in and I just ran away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting that you said New York, because I feel like even uh, within the U.S., New York can be a place that that represents like a total radical new beginning. Um, so it's interesting <laughs> to hear that that carries over in yeah. other ways. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the place where dreams are made of, and, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Were you able to travel there at all um, after you uh, during your time in the U.S.? Yes, definitely. I wouldn't have left that out. I um in my even uh, only in my first year I I went and traveled there and it was it was just perfect. I went there for Christmas and New Year. Um and it was just amazing and I wish I could go back. So it lived up <laughs> to your expectations. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Nice. So it sounds like perhaps um you had no uh kind of like expectations for, for Oregon um no so I guess like as you're getting on the plane what were you kind of thinking that you were flying into um well I I uh you know I used to even pronounce it Oregon <laughs> until someone on the plane corrected me and told me it's Oregon <laughs> And um, I think what I was expecting was just a better quality of education and being able to live an independent lifestyle without anybody, you know, with just a new beginning because I did not know anybody there. I didn't have any family in the U.S. and none of my family had even visited the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think I was just expecting I or maybe I was a little you know I was just very stubborn and I didn't really I was just concentrating on the fact that I was I was leaving you know and that it would be a new like nobody yeah I didn't I didn't really have much expectations of but I I was just focused on the fact that I was I was getting a, a good education and um I'm good I was going to learn how to um live without my family and uh, explore my identities and yeah yeah and you said your parents were um supportive of that choice did they um had they always been supportive of that choice or did they come to that over time like in your senior year and kind of recognize that that was something that you needed um it was the opposite actually they were very <laughs> supportive it, uh, like in the beginning when I really wanted to go in in high school but then when I actually got in to the school uh, when I actually got into the school I um, yeah so they realized what it meant for me to like live all alone and uh, the cost of it mm. um, especially the cost of it it was so expensive the um, the conversion rate here um, from dollar to rupees is uh, is a lot, and also, um, as we all know, the uh, higher education in the U.S. is super expensive. Yeah. And so, um, so that's why um, 
and so that's why uh, they became hesitant they became very 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 hesitant and i had to kind of give them an ultimatum that um i would not go to college at all if oh, wow. they did not send me and education is very especially higher education is very important here in india like you would not meet a lot of young people uh who would not go to um college like you would in the US yeah. um so you took a very so, extreme position in order to yeah okay. yeah. yeah 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 education is very uh, and it's not very expensive here either so it's uh, very important then um i had also got into a very good college here in delhi and i had started going as well because uh, in in delhi um co- colleges start in june mm. <clears throat> so so um my parents were even more hesitant because they thought that i was settling into this other college and it was a good program and everything so um so it was it was it took a lot of me to convince them and as i said i was a very stubborn teenager and i did not think of i did not think of any consequences i would face and i mean i can tell you that uh like the first week that i arrived there uh, i came with my mother because uh, I, we did not know what to expect and she wanted to drop me off kind of mm-hmm. um and so and so uh, i remember when my mother left i broke out crying i was so i realized what i had done i i thought that you know how would i i realized that i i don't know how i would handle this this living alone situation and in this foreign country where i did not know anyone and could not really um you know fall back on anyone if i if i needed help like what i would do so i i don't know why i i remember like my mother was at the airport and i i was in the you know i was in the dorm and mm-hmm. i just like i was crying and she called me and she was so hesitant to leave me um because you know she, even she was like yeah she was just panicking that she should come back or i should come back she said she said to me that if you don't like it just come back within 2 months it's mm-hmm. fine uh, it doesn't matter how much money and uh, you know whatever it's it's completely fine to come back and uh, i just kept crying because i realized that that i couldn't do that that was that would be impossible i would have to i would have to um live my life there and i started going to counseling afterwards uh to get adjusted because i knew that I, that i had i had made this decision and and i would have to live up to that experience so yeah. well uh, it yeah. sounds like i mean going to counseling that seems very self reflective of you at 18 i mean yeah. you said you were a teenager i don't know like for me so even just this last week um coming back from Panama and trying to readjust just um has me thinking a lot about notions of home and sense of comfort and i guess like so it sounds like you went to counseling but were there other things um as time went on that helped you feel strong helped you kind of um retain that sense of conviction and adventure that brought you here 
Um, definitely. I can tell you that the counseling did not really help me that much. Okay. It was just the free, <laughs> the free counseling that uh, the students get, the, the students get in, uh, you know, in the counseling services, the student counseling services. Yeah. Um, it did not really help me that much. But what helped me was getting involved. I got super involved in like every single thing that I could find, clubs. Um, organizations i applied for jobs and i started in my first year i started working at the library and i moved out of the dorm uh, in my first after my first term yeah so you felt like by becoming very active you did it help you so that you weren't dwelling on um those thoughts of returning or thoughts of um going back yeah, definitely. And I started working two jobs. Actually, I started working at the women's center as well as the library. The women's center on campus was it, it also became like a second home to me because uh, that's where I learned, you know, the advocacy and the passion passions that I have now as a feminist and um, you know an activist because. Um, that's where I learned programming and real, you know, hands-on experience of how to, um, you know, uh, get involved in social justice. So uh, I just became so busy. I was going to school full-time and working two jobs, and I was involved in so many different clubs. There was a wheelchair basketball club, and in, um, and uh, the Rainbow Continuum, I also got involved with them, um, and so many, so many clubs that I just would go without even thinking that I shouldn't be here. I, I mean, I wasn't athletic at that time, and I wasn't sure of my uh, queer identity at that time. Uh, I thought I was pretty straight or heterosexual, <laughs> but yeah. I still, you know, I, I was super fascinated and loved the Rainbow Continuum and the, the friends that I had made there, and they, they convinced me to, especially working at the Women's Center, um, I really loved being in that uh, with, with uh, the group that was um, uh, the Rainbow Continuum at that time. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you mentioned that part of what drew you to the U.S. was that you were starting to explore your different identities. And so um, in terms of your queer identity, at what point did you start to um, more strongly identify in that way? Uh, I think it was fairly recent that uh, I would say that it was last year, in fact, that I uh, sort of came out of the closet, if you can call it that. Um, but yeah, it was it was very recent that I started uh, using that as one of my identities uh, very openly, especially because I started dating, um, uh, you know, an, another girl as well for the first time and uh, felt like super in love with her uh, like I hadn't ever before. And so I think it was her because of her that I was able to uh, come, you know, realize my identity more. Uh, even I, because I even remember when I was um, when I was uh, an officer with the Rainbow Continuum, they would ask me, you know, how do you identify? And I would just say I'm confused, or and they would laugh at me because I was the only confused. <laughs> or confused. I feel like that or... can't possibly be true. <laughs> 
I'm sure there are many other <laughs> confused students. Uh, you know, first year of college is definitely a confusing time and a time when, like you said, you're away from your family, perhaps for the first time and kind of um, exploring those parts of your personality. Um, mm. Did you feel yeah, like... Yeah, that's a good way. Did That's you, a good way to look at that. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel like um, your personality here evolved over time? And going back, do you feel as if you're holding on to some of those qualities? Or what kind of continuum and changes around your identity have you been feeling? Uh, I definitely changed a lot over there. I think I tapped into what I really was when I was in uh, was in Oregon. And um, before that, I was very shy. I wouldn't talk to people. And actually, I was you know I was going through depression when I was in uh, when I was in my junior sen senior year. Um, I had had some bad experiences in school and I, I was failing my classes and um, the teachers were concerned, um, my parents were super concerned, I started getting into bad influence like alcohol and smoking and I was super young to be doing all those things so uh, I know that everybody was very concerned around me but I would not talk to them I only talked to my friends and I think it was because of my friends that I eventually pulled out of it um, here in Delhi and um, and decided that I you know I did not want to uh, leave live my life this way and that's why I had to I had to leave and start a new, uh, started a new way. So I think, uh, and there was a lot of, you know, mental mental illnesses that I was coping with. I, I, I had stopped eating also, and I was battling eating this. Like I wasn't, at that time, I didn't realize I was battling eating disorder um, or depression. But um, I realize now that that's what it was. I would just lock myself in the in my room and wouldn't talk to anyone and put on loud, very uh, goth goth punk music and um, wouldn't wouldn't eat anything. So I know that a lot of people were concerned about me, and uh, and so I think when I came to the U.S., I became a completely different person. I became very responsible, even though there was nobody around me. Uh, I started, you know, I started earning money and I paid my own rent. I even got a scholarship afterwards so that my parents didn't have to, um, you know, spend so much money mm -hmm. um, because we had gotten a loan actually and we couldn't really pay it off. So I got a scholarship and um, and I didn't ask for my for any money from my parents and uh, started handling things on my own. I wouldn't really stay out late at night. I would concentrate on my education even though I, I never really liked studying uh, I, I enjoyed I, I enjoyed my subjects in um, in the US especially anthropology because I interacted with a lot of my professors uh, in, a, in a more deeper way than others did and uh, I also you know like I said like I said I, I got involved in so many clubs and and I was the ideal student I think <laughs> I think 
I was the face of like what they wanted, what they wanted students to be, you know, in the brochures oh, and everything. No. So, <laughs> yeah. so um, I also in my undergrad, I did anthropology and I am really curious how it was for you in, in Corvallis. I have not spent a lot of time there, but I assume like Portland, it's a fairly white space. Um, did you encounter any struggles there, like with um, the way either your professors would th- frame things or like discussions in class? Um, for me, I mean, um, when I first moved there, psychology was my main interest uh, or my ma- only major. And I found that to be very white. I got so turned off by uh, the way psychology was discussed and presented in a completely white male dominated uh, perspective. When I was in the in Delhi, psycho- I studied psychology here intensely. I would study um, uh, Sigmund Freud. I read all his books when I was in school. And even then, you know, I, w- I, I, I really enjoyed the way we discussed it here. Um, in our, in the school, mm-hmm. in my school here in Delhi. But when I moved there, it just became very, uh, I felt that it was, it wasn't, the perspectives weren't diversely um, discussed. And that's what created the problem for me. Um, and and so I, I started taking an anthropology, like I started taking an anthropology class because I was always interested in it. Uh, I used to watch Bones a lot. <laughs> and, <laughs> And so, and so, like I said, I used to watch a lot of American TV shows. Yeah. They influenced me so much um, that I took this anthropology class uh, and I fell in love with it. Even though most of my professors were uh, white professors, they really understood and discussed international perspectives and not just international, but people of color in the U.S., they would really discuss those things. And, you know, it, it's better if people of color discuss discuss their own stories i realized afterwards but but still anthropology was my soul my solace and um and i focused on biocultural anthropology i started working in a lab and um and the yeah i i think uh, so, afterwards i realized that the anthropology program in in corvallis is actually really great a lot of people said that uh, you know people would come they would graduate from uh, really Ivy League colleges and come to Corvallis, uh, the program in Corvallis, because it's the the research, because Oregon State University is a research-based mm-hmm. university, they found it really, uh, they found it really uh, full of content and a lot of, uh, uh, yeah, just a very great program. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah. When we met, you had just um, uh, started a job with the Oregon Women's Health and Wellness Alliance. And um, so did your biocultural anthropology focus kind of lead into those reproductive equity issues? Or was that completely a new interest towards that No. End? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. It actually because I worked in uh, the uh, reproductive health lab in uh, the Oregon State University mm. Anthropology uh, Department. It 
and that uh, that lab is just amazing the a professor who leads it her name is melissa cheney mm-hmm. dr melissa cheney and uh, she's known um, nationally and internationally she's a midwife as well as a doctor and um, uh, she was one of the first professors that i got to know very well her classes made me you know think in a different way um, i took a lot of uh, medical anthropology classes with her mm-hmm. and so i got very interested in in uh, reproductive justice issues uh, even working at the women's center i didn't i didn't um, uh, you know look at look through that reproductive justice uh, lens that a lot of uh, americans look at look at because in the women's center we would try to focus on um, you know international like my job it was to focus on international issues and try to in- integrate the international community into the women's center mm. um as well as like other 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 um other people of color or uh, queer uh, identifying asian pacific and all those i all those identities so i didn't really uh, um i didn't really learn about reproductive justice and i till i uh, started working or started uh, uh getting deeper into my anthropology field yeah so it really helped me working it really helped me working with the um with the organ women's health and wellness uh, alliance and i actually in my interview they did mention a few things and i remember talking to them about different birth practices that i had learned through uh, my medical anthropology classes with dr cheney um and they really you know they really they really enjoyed that so i know that that i definitely brought in that perspective I want to um pivot a little bit and talk about so it sounds like you had um in Oregon in terms of like your academic life and advocacy and digging into your identity some really positive experiences um but now I'm a bit curious about kind of what brought you back and how you made that decision to leave like was there a particular um like lightning bolt moment where you decided i need to be back in india yeah yeah so i i know that in the university it was much easier uh being involved in all the different clubs and support groups and uh there's a lot of support you know given i mean we kind of pay for it anyway but uh i i at least you know took that extra step and i was able to find uh uh a lot of support in in the university um and i made a lot of friends there and especially the international like the immigrants uh international students uh it was just so easy to get uh be- become friends with them and we were all in the same situation but then when i moved to portland uh for my for work to work in the summer of 2016 mm-hmm. I started started working with the bus project uh, which is a non-profit there uh, that works with young for young people to get involved in local politics so I was going house to house to get everybody to because the the uh, elections were coming uh, 
<clears throat> I was get, going door to door, um, informing everybody about the local issues, especially like mm-hmm. all the, uh, the there was there was the uh, the measure ninety nine I yeah. think <laughs> that did not get passed and uh, we weren't we were we were being non non partisan but. Uh, we uh, wanted to inform everybody about the local measures and uh, things that uh, the new, especially the newly registered voters. Mm. So I, I straight like stepped into the political scene in Portland. I got to know a lot of the commissioners and um, just the different activists that were involved in. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, some of the, the leadership that I got to meet, it really inspired me in Portland. And, and that's why I really wanted to move. I'm, I'm actually a very city girl, if you cannot already tell. That's mm-hmm. why I wanted to move to New York. And I loved New York. And even though Corvallis is home, I always wanted to live in a big U.S. city, mm. which Portland is not, no. and so maybe that's why, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why, I maybe that's why it didn't really work out. Uh, after a so... while of working there, since I, since I didn't find, I, to answer your question, I didn't answer your question why I left, but, um, <laughs> I mean, did, did it become a thing where you felt, um, more empowered by all these people you were meeting and felt like you had a confidence to go back and really make some big moves and changes definitely yes definitely i think that i uh, i embodied all the people that i met and uh, brought them back with me in some part of my body and uh, <laughs> and but but still it just you know i i felt that after a year or a little less than a year of living in portland i I, I kind of, um, I don't know, just working in the political, like in the organ, in the capital, uh, it became, it just, I did not find the same support that, uh, you know, I, I feel like I should have. Mm. I felt that the capital building was very inaccessible to non-white uh able or non-white you know just non-white women Mm -hmm. I think like it's very it's very and you know there is a lot of people who are working outside if I had worked you know as like a lobbyist or one of those uh, you know one of those people who kind of visits the capital to do activism Uh I would have been better better off instead of working inside the capital as a staff of the capital mm. um, because I got to see some really um, messed up things being inside like meetings where I would hear you know the the n-word being used by these politicians and it just I felt so out of place and it it became I mean that seems <laughs> I mean, it's, pretty hostile it was very, very hostile, and and I don't know. I I would try to, you know, speak to people about these issues, but in the capital, but everyone was just like, oh, this is how things are, and you should just adjust to it. And this is, you know, they think that it's a safe space for them to be saying these things, and uh, it wasn't. It wasn't just, you know, them using words but also some of the things they would say about some of the um 
the ballots and the measures that were being, you know, like for example, the um, the uh, what was it? The child, the one child? No, not the one child. The I even forgot the the one that the governor was advocating for for all immigrants, including all immigrant and undocumented children. To oh, in the get, health insurance. Yeah, the health. Yeah. The health. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that one, like I know, I know a lot of the. Um, senators and the representatives that that did not like that law and I got to hear some of the reasons why it just felt like a lot of a bunch of rich rich white women were you know advocating for their own agendas hello maybe maybe we're getting uh, hacked I don't know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just felt like they were advocating for their own personal agenda as, you know, they, as they, they were, uh, you know, doctors or minors or whoever, like you, you could look into some of their, the, the uh, other, um, for example, they would be, they would say that they are advocating for the reproductive um, health uh, measure or mm -hmm. what is it called? The, it's that a, word? Yeah, the reproductive, let's see. The Reproductive Health Equity Act. So that's what yes, this the summer. Act. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they would say that they're supporting those things, but it was actually the lobbyists and the people, the activists that actually worked on it. And these senators, they just, you know, they were just kind of uh, saying that they are supporting it. But then outside, they would be saying things like, oh, this is not going to work. Or, or in meetings, they would be saying with each other, they would be saying that, oh, this is not really going to work. Or, how is this going to get passed or so it just became very depressing and i mean maybe depressing is not the right word for discouraging just, perhaps discouraging and and i realized that i'm why am i you know why am i here anymore like i've learned what i need to learn and um and i want to be working for my own country now mm -hmm. and so i i i it was just like a, a wake up call suddenly one day i just i just real i i i don't know there, it was this one meeting and i was like i need to get out of here oh wow and 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 so i just quit and i literally i couldn't take it anymore so and i thought that i have to go back and and i had actually planned on living there for at least a few more years if not, uh, if not, because yeah, I remember when I met you, you seemed so excited about this new opportunity. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm sorry that it ended up being so draining and exhausting. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think even with the other things happening outside of the capital, just just with the whole Trump administration, even now what's happening, I mean, it was. I think even that was just I I thought that I I don't think I have a future here anymore and I mean it would be it, because seeing my other friends who are immigrants like I know that they were also struggling with finding a job or with visa issues and things like that mm -hmm. and and so I just felt that there was no more future there either and it wouldn't I mean I I don't know if it would be uh, bad of me or like it would it wouldn't be that like I I, I do blame Trump I think <laughs> too for 
uh, you know, for or not blame him, but like maybe he's a contributing uh, factor into contributing. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you were already feeling that you were in a hostile environment, I mean, the trajectory of things is seemingly only getting more hostile. So, yeah, definitely understand. So now that you are back, so it's been um, about six months, and Mm -hmm. one of the things that I found interesting when I was, um, I think you did an interview for um, a differently abled Facebook group, and you had mentioned that you found in the U.S. the physical infrastructure for differently abled people seemed more accessible, more comprehensive, but... Um, in India, psychologically, you felt that it was more healthy for differently abled people. And is that something that you felt um, now that you've been back? Or is that something that was kind of throughout time? Like, while you were in Oregon, was it really difficult? Um, just... Yeah, I think I think in Oregon, I did not, like, I tried to find a lot of uh, disability activists. But it was just very few people, and so, and I feel like in in the U.S. it was mostly my immigrant person of uh, person of color, women of color identity that was so dominant that I felt that it was so basic. The level of activism there was a little more, you know, surface level than to get deeper into uh, disability and queer issues uh, was more difficult, or not more difficult, but just uh, I think that as a woman of color, I wanted that that to be uh, my main form of activism. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I came back here, the uh, interview was done by Ink Love. And Ink Love is actually, uh, it's a dating app for people with disability. And it's oh. the first of its kind in the world. <laughs> and so I got involved with them. And I was super fascinated by that, by the whole dating for people with disability. Because, you know, dating has become, like, internet date, or, like, uh, um, what do you call it, like, uh, fast uh, fast food dating. Or, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is it based like in like, India, or is it an international? Yeah. Oh, wow. No, it's based in India, and it's the first of its kind. And they have really amazing programs. They have, like, night nightlife uh, programs. Like, they have clubbing and things like that for people with disability. And it's not just just for people with disability, but, uh, uh, you know, focusing on people with disability and other. And so I, I went for one of their clubbing clubbing events. And, oh, my God, it was just <laughs> the most, like, you would not imagine. Like, nourishing. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Like, how many people with disabilities that I met were like so badass activism i mean i did not find that in the us so that's why i said the psychological was more uh is more uh, easier here even the even the you know the the people who are uh, not disabled who are who act, who are activists for people with disabilities is just amazing like i did not i did not find a single uh, um you know able-bodied person who was uh, activating so intensely for people with disability uh, and was so aware of those issues that, um, 
yeah, I just I found it a very supportive and uh, and I and I did not find that in the U.S. Like uh, even though I tried, I I was like I said I was in my first year. I, that was my first uh, go-to. I got involved with the wheelchair basketball mm. um, club and the able student association, and it was just it was just a bunch of people trying to make accessible ramps and I, I felt like that wasn't all that disability was about so mm. I um, and so I, even the fact that of thinking thinking uh, of people with disability with a sexuality which which is what Ink Love focuses on as a dating app uh, it's it's amazing I, I did not find that in the US I feel um, and even though you know, like like you said, like or, or like I said, the infrastructure is pretty great. The buses are very accessible, which is not the case over here. It's not very, at all at all accessible. Um, I feel that uh, there needs to be a lot more psychological and emotional support for people with disabilities. I mean, it's it's just sad because even even the veterans, as as you all know, that even the veterans don't get the support there so people with disabilities is like far off so yeah. well yeah. so i guess for for people who maybe um right now are in the same position that you were and are here maybe queer or differently abled women of color um i guess like what would you want to tell them about navigating decisions about where to live like I know sometimes there are situations where you may not have a choice. It just financially or family reasons, and so in trying to decide like what makes home, what what are the things that have helped you, and what are the things that have like sustained you in those decisions. Um, I would tell them to stay where they are and keep being themselves and doing doing them because uh, I did not want to you know I, I felt I felt like I was betraying the movement by leaving and even though I really wanted that break it was a, a big decision of self-care that I uh, decided to move back uh, and, and and like you said that I had that choice and a lot of people do not uh, I feel I wish that I could have stayed and, you know, been a part of that movement, uh, kept being. No. <laughs> yeah, hello. Sorry, that was the worst place to cut <laughs> out. Okay. So you wish that you, you have some, um, like, guilt about leaving uh no not really yeah I, I would yeah it is it is guilt and I remember when I was ha having like my going away party and I and I said that you know I wish I wish I could and it wasn't it wasn't just but uh, there was also a women of color group that I was involved in um and if you want I can send you uh, I would really love it if you uh uh if you promoted that group as well yeah uh, it's called it's called the Women of Color for Racial Justice. Okay. Uh, in Portland, I think it's called something. They changed the name of it, uh, but it, that was also a group, you know, where I expressed how 
deeply sad I was to be leaving and uh, because I know that being a person of color, a woman of color, a person with disability and a queer uh, identifying woman, I, I know that a lot of people, you know, were always contacting me and uh, telling me that it's so amazing that you're working in the Capitol building because there's not a lot of people like you who are in that building. And, and I know that uh, leaving that, it was, it was super, I mean, it's it, it just, uh, I felt a lot of guilt there. And, um, and uh, when I expressed that, I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of the, uh, my friends told me that, no, you need to take care of yourself. And that is the movement. And, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I still follow and I still, I'm still part of those groups. And I keep telling them that, please like have me as involved as possible. I even, uh, I, I haven't been able to because it's just gotten super busy. Um, but uh, I, I even said that I wanna uh, be able to attend the, some of the meetings through Skype or voice calling. Yeah. Um, uh, the women of color meetings and some other, uh, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, um, I feel that people who are there and who are doing the work, they they should stay there and not leave because if they leave, then what what does it mean for the U.S. or what does it mean for people who are living there? I mean, it's just constantly going to keep getting worse if they leave, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't. They it is their home too. It was it was my home, and uh, and I know that it can be a better place and. It will be. It will be a better place for for people, uh, especially especially now with the whole DACA the whole DACA being you know what is happening yeah. with the Dreamers and uh, I feel like they belong there and it's their home and there is no way that they should even think about leaving um, and they should they should take care of themselves and be safe and and everything but at the same time they should they should, you know, spread like a wild forest fire. <laughs> <laughs> that would be delightful. I would enjoy yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I guess, can you tell us a little bit about what you are doing now that you're back home? Are you, so you have been <clears throat> doing, um, sounds like a social advocacy workshop in terms of work. Are you working in a new place mm -hmm. yeah I'm actually working in a in a school um where it's a it's a school it's it's a school not just a high school but like a, all from from kindergarten to uh senior oh wow um and I'm working just in administration so that's where I'm kind of uh I feel I wanted to work in counseling but uh I, uh, I'm just doing administration right now because I wanted something easy and uh, just wanted easy money. <laughs> but, uh, but it's very interesting working in education, the, like just seeing the kids and how the generation has changed. Um, it's so important that we focus on kids and their well-being because nowadays I feel like in, in schools, there's so much competition, just, you know, even the like I said, education is really valued here in Delhi, mm -hmm. and um, there's so much like even the first grade and second grade kids. I see them like taking extra classes, and you know they're not really uh, able to enjoy their childhood anymore. And 
it makes me it makes me feel that uh, mental health is super important and um and also the the parents like i see some of the the attitude that parents have it makes me really sad how um parents are not able to adjust to their their kids having any problem at all they think that their their child is like the uh, perfect you know the just the perfect and it it's it's really hard on the kid to think of themselves as this perfect representation of everything that their parents have have expected from from that kid like if you're not ready to have a child who has a a mental uh some mental disbalance or a disability or an uh, an identity that you don't you don't want the child then you're not ready to have a child you know and i see a lot of those parents constantly you know i don't know and it's just it's really enlightening and um and um yeah and and then i'm after after because the the school hours are very it's it's pretty great like i i get to get home on time and i um and i have time for activism so i i'm doing all these i get time to do all these workshops and even after this interview i'll be going to a a psychological trauma workshop oh wow um like trauma informed so, care um i i'm not sure exactly what it is i've i just signed i've been signing up for every single thing like i did when i was <laughs> it's a it's a good way to be integrated into community and that's something that i uh have done in this first year and i feel like um it is a, d- a difficult balance in i i think in my first you know 6 to 9 months i signed up for probably too many things <laughs> and started to get yeah. a little a little burnt out um but it's definitely mm-hmm. a good way to just get the landscape of a place and meet people yeah 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 that's something that's... i know how that feels <laughs> yeah yeah i know how that burnt out feels but <laughs> yeah that's exactly how what i want to do because i feel like this is a new uh, suddenly i feel like i'm in this new place and i need to make a space for myself as as i am like you said you know what what i've brought back from uh, from the us and my work and education uh, i do not want to lose that person and uh, and so i'm go- i'm going to you know make space for myself and um, and i feel like the the support that uh, or like the people that i'm meeting here now i feel that i can keep being that person and um, uh, because it's just it's just It's really inspiring some of the things well i don't like that word inspiring but um but yeah just uh the scene over here in delhi it's pretty great uh for an activist and um and and yeah i'm and so um yeah like right now working i might i i, I mean right now i'm pretty i want to distance myself from politics as much as possible mm. but uh in the future i might uh you know give the um there's an exam to become involved in the civil services uh, because delhi is the capital and we we have so much like different opportunities that we could get you could get involved in and a, and a lot of youth is i mean the youth over here i think that's what uh makes it, because in in delhi uh, or in india the uh uh when there's a statistic uh and i don't exactly remember the numbers but i know that in the us the there is a more the population um is more uh older 
Mm-hmm. I think it's in between uh, 40 to 60. Yeah. There's more people who are 40 to 60 in the U.S. Uh, and then in India, there are more people who are between 20 to 40. 35 I think that's the and so there's a lot there's a there's a lot of uh, young people um, who are leading a lot of different causes and a lot of different movements I am so appreciative of the time that you spent and it was really um, fascinating to hear about your time here and your experiences um, in government and advocacy and Um, It sounds like you're in a wonderful place now as well. And I'm excited to see what else you will do. Um, And just thank you. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Just some shout outs. So uh, the group that we discussed um, earlier in the program is now called Women of Color Support and Healing PDX. And you can find them on Facebook. So if you are, you know, a woman of color, LGBTQ, in Portland and are looking for um, some support and community that sounds like a great resource. Um, another group that we want to shout out is the Determined Art Movement. This is a nonprofit POC-led artist collective and that is based in Corvallis and you can also find them on Facebook. And finally, if you want to keep up with Shivangi and everything that she'll be doing in the future, please check out her Instagram. That is a shot of Shiva all together. Um, and there are beautiful pictures of New Delhi, gorgeous poems, and I definitely recommend following her. So thanks so much. Yeah, thank you, Amy. And um, yeah, you're doing amazing work and I feel really grateful to you for this uh, interview and this podcast that you you've created. Uh, and yeah awesome well I hope that we can keep up and um, stay in touch in the future and if I ever go to New Delhi I will definitely look you up you should and, and please you should first look me up before <laughs> yes that too <laughs> and if you ever want to come to Panama please let me know oh yes 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right well I hope you have a great day and a great time at your workshop and thanks again 